Well, hello. Welcome back. This is Julia. I'm Elise. And we're here today to talk to you about something. And we're going to try to make this a mini episode. We're not really sure if that's what's going to happen yet because it has the topic has a potential to be quite larger, we yeah. both think. But we're going to try. We'll do the, the short and sweet of it. Exactly. For now. For now. So we are talking about the impact of having a brick and mortar store versus an online only store. Which is or people who do both. Or people who do both. Like, we have both. Um, which is something that is particularly relevant because, um, as some of you may know, Ren became a physical storefront uh, three years ago after being an online store for, like, seven years. Yeah. Approximately. It had some iterations. But so how, how that impacted the store and how people perceived the store because now it had a physical location. If you'd like to talk about that. (laughs) I'll talk about that. Um, Yeah, just in the past, I think it used to be that before the internet, you would like start, you would just start a store and all of the press, everything about your store, your store brand would come by purely people finding you by walking down the street. Maybe they read about you in the magazine or the newspaper or your friend told you about them or they've just been there forever. So everyone knows about them. And stores that have that are really lucky. They can kind of just kind of keep riding on something they've done for a while. But now you see people kind of either doing one of two things. They've either started online, started their brand online, and then maybe they just are doing online only, or they also decide to open up a store. Um, And when I was first figuring out what I wanted to do, do I wasn't sure I didn't know in the beginning I'd want a store or that's where things would go for me but it became clear to me that it was a really good way to kind of flesh out my bigger picture vision for everything and just having a studio anymore wasn't really working out for me and I wanted it became really important for me to have people be able to come in and touch the textiles and And just kind of see things in person. Because for me, I always prefer shopping in person. And that was kind of the beginning where I noticed people saying like, oh, nothing beats being able to touch things in the store. And that was, I'd say, like four years ago when I started hearing people say that when I was thinking about doing this. And since then, that has just kind of continued. But it started to become kind of like a a fetish how do I say this? Fetishization? Uh, I don't. I know it's a word, but I yeah. have trouble saying it. Like you're fetishizing this idea of having a store, and yet people who live nearby, I'd say, live within a two-hour radius. They would still rather order online than come into the store. And to this day, that really boggles my mind because um, growing up, I would just. If I saw something was in a shop in New York, we would drive four and a half hours down from Boston and we'd go see it and I'd, I'd, we'd do that and I'd make people do it with me and I had a lot of fun doing it. Um, You'd make a day of it. I'd make a day of it and it was really great. And now I just see things kind of regressing and going in the opposite direction where like that going to a store is just a really big inconvenience for people. Like, yeah. I feel like, um, so... You guys probably don't know, but I'd say probably about half of our orders go to New York. And when someone's like, oh, I'm trying to decide about the fit of this, I'm not sure. And you're like, oh, well, you could just take Amtrak or the Megabus or the Bolt Bus or, or drive drive down to Philly. They're like, oh, no, it's too far. But maybe it's just 
I don't know, maybe Julie and I just went on too many road trips as children, but like a 10 hour drive does not phase me. So driving so to why New York, would an hour and a half yeah. train ride phase you. It's like not a big deal, but people will be like, Oh, I can't. It's so far away. And I get that people have lives. They have jobs. They have kids. They have dogs. They have responsibilities, but it's, it's all, it's interesting to see because you'll go on back and forth and back and forth and back and forth for hours about it. And you're like in that time you could have come here, bought, whatever one fits you best and then left and been home already. And so it's just kind of interesting that having a store seems to lend an air of legitimacy to a brand, but it seems kind of only in like in name only, not necessarily in, in action because people don't really seem to come to stores. Yeah. And I mean, I guess I'll just be honest and say like the past couple years here, I'd say our in-person sales have stayed fairly, similar to what they were in the beginning, but our online sales have grown a lot to the point where I'd say 85% of our business is online. And that's hard for me because I put a lot of effort into how physically the store looks. So it feels like I kind of have this billboard, this glorified billboard for the internet to make it look like I have a real store. And we love helping people in person. It's mm-hmm. really fun. Yeah, it's like playing dress up every it's day. It's like playing dress up every yeah. day with people. But it, I, we both sense a resistance to that. Yeah. And I, maybe it's intimidating, but it kind of seems like it's just we're in a very beautiful, glorified office that then you're like, well, maybe this could be on the third floor of a building and then not have the storefront and then the rents less and there is more storage space and blah, 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 blah. But does that then take away the prestige of having a ground floor brick and mortar with a big, like a big front facing space so that people on the street can see it. But um, yeah, Elise and I go back yeah. and forth about that a lot. Cause for me, I'm like, well, would I feel like a failure if I went back to being online since that's growing so much and that's, should I be focusing my energy there? And then mm-hmm. we get a lot of people who are like, oh, well, why don't you just move your store to New York? And there's so many different reasons why that wouldn't work well for me personally. And also just for the business, because yeah. I feel like in order to have the physical store footprint that I have here, I'd be paying anywhere. Oh gosh. I mean, I'd say, what did you see? that rent was the other day a 900 square foot store in soho for like nine thousand dollars a month and that's probably without having to pay all the fees that you do in new york so it's that's absolutely nutty and they'll probably lock you be much more strict about locking you into these longer term leases as well and they're going to be less flexible about giving you any build out money or anything for your store yeah, so it's definitely less friendly seeming in New York from two New York outsiders. Um, so yeah, and, and, that. and there's that. So if we want, so would we be paying $20,000 a month in rent? Like, and then I'm like, could I make 20? To break even, oh, it's funny, you would have to think about it. It's not just I'd have to make $20,000 a month in rent. That's not even breaking even because that's not covering the expenses of the items I'd have to make. The insurance. Like that, and, that plus a half yeah. of that, I think to break even maybe I'm not, I'm not sure, but it just doesn't seem like, I just can't imagine when I walk around Soho or the Lower East Side or anything, I just don't see that many sales happening unless I'm in like Uniqlo, I guess. Yeah. And like the lower price big brand stores. Yeah. And so it's all, it's all fine and well. And we're, we love our New York customers. They're awesome. They are very supportive, but again, they don't want to come and visit 
Some of them do. Some of them do. And, and then they're like, oh my gosh, I've been wanting to come yeah. here so long. And they're so nice. And I'm really glad they took the time to come here. And that yeah. also saves them from like returning a lot of stuff that didn't work for them. Yeah. And they also may have found something that they never would have picked tried online. Because on yeah. they were like, oh, that is going to be big on me. And then they tried on. They're like, oh, That's this kind of is awesome. Yeah. And so it's all just about um, this concept of brick and mortar is making things more legitimate. Because also I feel as though a lot of direct-to-consumer brands... Um, which is when they don't retail their pieces, have been opening lots of stores around New York and L.A. And I don't know. I guess we're kind of curious if like I guess Everlane is a really big yeah, example. Everlane. Yeah, actually, they there are a bunch always of stores. Whenever I've walked by the Everlane, New York, is there they, a line? There's a line there's outside. A line to get in. I mean, <laughs> I've had a few things from Everlane. I guess I don't think I've kept any of them. <laughs> I didn't feel like they were that great. I I don't understand. Like I under I feel like they took the whole wave of riding the the ethical like you know where you're close wait you call it greenwashing yeah Yeah, like environmentally friendly okay i haven't heard that yeah yeah yeah. so it's like where you make something look like it's an ethical thing but it's not really i just feel like they they worked so hard on their pr and they got so many influencers behind them to the point where it's grown so much yeah that now they have a line yeah a line to get into their store which is good for them if they're doing well and they're happy and they're successful and everyone's happy and everyone's getting paid well, which is the hope with an ethical brand. Um, but I guess it's just, it's been a lot of debating about how does a physical store impact a business and is there a way that you can figure out the impact of it? Um, I know. Cause I think yeah. I was talking to someone at some point saying that they felt that their store and their online, everything was this fluid thing and they wouldn't attribute one to the other for where things were coming from. They'd try it on in the store and then they'd buy it online. And I don't know, maybe it's, and also we will acknowledge like Philly is a tricky city to have a store in more just because there is no center area for small shops it's kind of spread out in a few places yeah i think maybe if we were all like on one street and the street we are on does have a lot of them but i think if even more of them were in Mm -hmm. one area that would help a lot yeah because there's no there's a couple neighborhoods there are pockets um but even even pockets it's like half a block on one street and then half a block on a street a block away and so it's not really conducive um to just like going on a walk or like the mall which is completely set up so that you can just go from one to the next to the next to the next to the next by everything you could ever dream of yeah that's the other fascinating thing about philadelphia retail um is that a lot of the so that about technically it should only be a 20 minute drive but there's always traffic is there's this huge mall outside of philly it's one of the biggest in the country one of the biggest in the country it's called the king of prussia mall which when i first heard that name i was like what is king of prussia <laughs> <laughs> like that's a town yes it is. it is a town um so we've just been wondering why like seriously people will drive and there's so much traffic to get yeah. to the King of Prussia Mall, and you get there, and it's big. It's just like a big mall, like the Mall of America in Minnesota. And we just wonder, like, but there's awesome, like, independent shops in Philly, and it's strange that people don't think to just come and shop in Philly. And there yeah. is like one larger chain store street. I think is it Walnut Street mm-hmm. that's near Rittenhouse Square, and it has like, like H&M. Rag and Bone, oh, oh, like the nice Theory. Street, yeah. 
um, but even then, Lucky, yeah, all the like Warby kind of an- anthropology, yeah. um, things like that. Um, but over time, I feel like they all close because. Yeah. And I was actually talking to my lawyer on the phone the other day because, as, one does. as <laughs> one does, no, he's really great to talk to about things. Um, but he said, like, he just he's lived here his whole life, and he's just seen things close, and these companies just use these stores as billboards yeah and that's just so interesting because that's where things are headed and we also the other thing we were just thinking about is like this new trend of everyone just being so focused on experiential retail and this concept that millennials will only like experiential retail where there has to be a tote bag they can buy there has to be a cute cafe inside where they can get fancy cheesecake and they sit there for two hours and they take pictures and selfies and but then they don't really buy anything Mm -mm. or sometimes they do it depends on the store yeah and it's kind of it's like where's the limit of of i don't know making it worth everyone's time and not getting too far removed from your original goal in order to try and i guess play to an audience that maybe you weren't originally playing to but you're like this might be a profitable group of people that i want to target now but maybe that's not your original goal and then you get so I don't know involved in trying to get this customer base that is not your native customer base that maybe you don't even need but everyone's telling you like oh you got to go for the cool young people but maybe you don't need to go for the cool young people you just need to go <laughs> or you for could the... go for a mix I don't know yeah. I mean, we have a mixed customer base oh, we for ages. it's really all over the place which is really great yeah um, I really enjoy that and people have lots of different jobs and do lots yeah. of different things. Yeah, it's really interesting to hear what people do. And so it's all just it's just an interesting an interesting thing to think about. Yeah, and I feel like it's been interesting now that I've been lucky that we've been able to travel now we've switched out doing our buying trips instead of new york to doing it in paris which like sounds so fancy even saying it it feels very privileged to be able to do that i wanted to do it for so long um but like when i see stores there i just sense that like i don't know i've been to a few different of the dover street markets and each one feels like a really cool experience but there i see people buying the things there and eating at the cafes like they want to do everything where when i go into places like that in the u.s more i feel like i just see them eating and taking selfies like the purchasing just doesn't happen as much yeah it's like to to say you did it's like to say you did like yeah we definitely have people who come into our store and like, oh my gosh, I've been following you guys on Instagram forever. And they take a selfie in the big mirror in the front and then they leave. Yeah. And you're like, that's fine. That's great. We understand not everyone is going to be able to patronize this No, store. no, not everyone cannot afford this. And we're trying to work on carrying like smaller yeah. items. It's in our to-do list. It is in our to-do list. We have um, any leads. But it seems like... It's a well, fine line. It's a fine line because I think that not getting too far away from the point of the store. Yeah, it doesn't it just it more just feels like they see for me if I like I when I go in stores and I know I can't afford something, I might still try something on. And to yeah. me, it feels better knowing someone came in and tried something on even yeah. if they don't get it because I feel like, oh, they're trying. Yeah, or like actually like looking or appreciating. Yeah. Or being like, wow, look at this amazing cup. Like I wonder how someone made it. And then that's kind of I don't know, I guess seeing the praise of the store of the artisan of the designer um and so like kind of giving positive feedback in a way yeah like I don't, I don't, people say if you can't donate money 
like share about this cause or whatever. And so it's, it's kind of the way that you can support in more ways than one, but you know, make the effort to support in some way. I know. And I mean, I, in, in some ways I've thought about like, Oh, it would be really awesome at some point in our store journey to have like this small, tiny store, but like multi-floor thing where we had a Mm -hmm. few different ventures going on inside of it. Um, but to do that kind of thing, you just need to save up a lot of money for a long time. You need to or investors, or investors, which, which, which is another topic. We don't have those. No, <laughs> we don't have those monies. Nope, nope. <laughs> that sweet, sweet investment money. Yeah, but even that's a trade-off. Yeah, because then you lose control over things. So it's like everything is it's a fine line. A fine line. Maybe that should be the name of the podcast. <laughs> is that the name of our podcast? Yeah. It's a fine line <laughs> by Julia and Elise. <laughs> maybe but i think that's been our short brief and sweet thoughts on having a a brick and mortar to legitimize profit for your your business so yeah well thanks for listening and if you haven't i mean we might come back to this topic because we think we could delve into it quite a bit more like it just kind of like what we talk about every single day but we kind of just wanted to put it out there as a Mm -hmm. as a micro podcast yes micro podcast and a thing to think think about like ideas you guys let us know opinions everyone has opinions we love opinions yeah Okay, we'll stop our banter and we'll wish you a merry day. Yes, have a good one. (laughs) Bye. Have a great one.